You're listening to the Bible Roots Podcast with Pastor Randy Frazee. If you're a church leader looking for creative ideas to help your church engage more deeply with the Bible, this podcast is for you. And now, for today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 9 of the Bible Roots Podcast. I am Randy Frazee, and I'm the host of this wonderful new show. This is a podcast that is devoted to the topic of Bible engagement. Why? Because Bible engagement is the number one catalyst for spiritual growth with no close second. I'd encourage you to check out episode one, where we lay out this discovery and keep listening up to this episode, episode nine. And if you're a pastor or responsible for leading people spiritually through a small group, your family, or even one-on-one coaching or discipling, this podcast is for you. And if you like it, leave a review and recommend it to somebody else you know that would get a lot out of this experience. Now today, I promise you, is going to be a fascinating conversation. I am pleased to have Morgan Jackson as my guest today. Morgan is the Senior Vice President of Faith Comes by Hearing, a ministry that focuses on getting the Bible to the remaining groups of people who do not have God's word in their own language. It is a fascinating work uh, with a fascinating story and lots of implications for us today and moving forward. So whether you are getting a little exercise right now or cooking dinner, commuting, to work or actually sitting down and watching the video version of this episode, I want to whisper a little prayer for you right now as we get started, that God would reveal himself to you, what you're to hear today and what you're to do with what you hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Randy. I've been looking forward to it. Yes, let's uh, start off just letting the, the audience know how, or at least your recollection on how we first met. Well, it was one of those God things. Um, yes. As you know, we work internationally and in the U.S. trying to get people in Scripture. And we've had a lot of success, but in recent years, everything's moved digitally. And I was struggling with how do we re-engage or engage the U.S. church. And I was talking to Mike Sherrill, a good friend who is the, the head of uh, C12, the CEO. And I was just saying, I just need some help. You know, and we know what we do internationally, but I don't have it in the U.S. I need some help. And he said, have you ever met Dr. Randy Frazee? And I went, no. He said, well, he's a leading expert on scripture engagement in the United States. And he's a good friend of mine. Let me introduce him. So he connected us by uh, email, uh, gave me your phone number, which uh, I think he had permission to do. Yeah. I called you and you were in Mexico, I think. And we had a conversation. And when the conversation was on, I felt good about it, but I didn't know if it was going to go anywhere until you called the next day and said, uh, you know, I got woken up by God or God talked to me. And I think this is going to be more important than I thought. Uh, I'd like to come see you. And I said, all right, bring your wife. Let's get together. And and literally within two days, you were on a plane and came to the ministry. So that's how I remember the introduction. You told it exactly how I remember it as well. I, and I tell you, Morgan, you know, I, I, I was cert- certainly interested in your work and I was in Mexico. It wasn't a mission trip. It was a fun trip. And the connection we had was not super great where I was at. So I wasn't able to pick up everything, but I really felt like I did the right thing by making the connection. Wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. Life's a bit overwhelming, you know, and, and, uh, 
I did not ask for this. I went to, to bed one night and woke up and I don't get these very often in my life, Morgan. I woke up uh, excited and a little nervous as well. And I told my wife what had happened. She says, you get on the phone. You know, we don't want to be Jonah being thrown out of a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean <laughs> Sea because I'm in this boat with you. And so <laughs> and so I called you up and you were gracious to have me out. And uh, and we have developed an incredibly uh, meaningful relationship, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. So it's, it's, it's certainly a God thing. Would you give us the history of uh, Faith Comes by Hearing, just kind of a snapshot of just the history? All right. It, it started with my folks in Southern California. My dad had come to faith in Christ as a young man in his 20s. He had been raised in a broken household, so he was in orphanages and foster homes till the time he was uh, 12. Uh, my mom was orphaned. Her mother died when she was one and so was raised mostly by her grandfather uh, until her father remarried. And so my mom had a Christian background. My dad had none. They got married. And when my dad came to faith in Christ, he didn't have any way to understand how to live. So he took the Bible and that was his textbook, whatever it said he was doing. And he was managing an avocado uh, packing house. And he got given a book uh, answers to prayer by George Mueller. And mm -hmm. as he read it, he just felt God challenge him to say, that's what I want you to do. Now he had in the evenings, got his pastoral license, started a little teeny church in our mountain community. And, and so he went to my mom and they said, yes. And so they sold everything, uh, lost money on it, it seems, and ended up with a 19, uh, 55 school bus that they converted into a house car <laughs> and they moved four kids, uh, my brother, 13, me, 12, my little brother, 11, my sisters, nine. He converted it in. So you had bunk beds that folded down into couches and they then lived by faith for 12 years. Uh, I lived in the school bus with them, I think four or five years. And so they traveled around and never told anybody their need, wouldn't take an offering in a church. Started on the Navajo Reservation and then a hippie community, a Christian farm, a Hopi village. And then the Lord directed them to Albuquerque in 1971. And at that time, cassettes were just coming out and people had been sending them cassettes by Bill Bright, Chuck Smith, all these different J. Vernon McGee. And they had been getting their spiritual uh, lives fed off of these cassettes and they built a, a pretty big library of them. And so they felt the Lord wanted them to start a Christian tape library. They thought it was just a short-term thing. They'd pass it off in Albuquerque, and it was called Hosanna. Well, very quickly, they found the audio Bible done by the American Bible Society, King James Revised Standard, Alexander Scorby. Many of you have those cassettes still. And, and they put them on cassette, called the American Bible Society. They had done it for the blind, so it was never copyrighted. And we began to produce those, put them in the library. Well, the ministry grew, but in the mid-70s, my dad kept reading studies about how Christians were not reading the Bible. And so he began to say, hmm, he was going through the New Testament once a week reading it. And he kept seeing Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And he thought, I wonder if that's how I could prove that, because faith without works is dead. So he kind of created this little teeny survey measuring six areas, attendance, spiritual level, participation, baptisms, uh, conversion attendance, counseling. And then he invited churches 
and to join. And he said, listen, if you'll invite and get half of your people to listen through half of a tape a day, which would be going through the New Testament actually once a month for three months, I'll loan you all the cassettes you need for all of those people. And so he did. And we had five churches, different denominations do it. And each one of them had revival. Um, attendance went up. Everything went up, but two areas, participation and spiritual level went way, way up. And then one area we weren't measuring, giving, went up dramatically. So we said, oh, we've got something. And then we almost went bankrupt because <laughs> we found out we couldn't, we, couldn't loan, we couldn't loan all those cassettes out. We weren't, my dad was a great visionary, but not a good businessman. So the next four years, he went studying two to three business books a week. Meanwhile, my brothers and I were in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, Albuquerque wasn't our home. It was just the last dot on the map. So we're in, in Flagstaff. I'm running two businesses. I'm getting a business education from my dad as he's trying to study. He applies all those things. And then they begin to start selling the Bible on cassette to churches. They start taking that study and calling churches and saying, listen, we, we did this study. 80% of your people aren't reading the Bible, but they will listen based on this study. And at that same time, my mom had received a promise from somebody. Somebody felt like God gave them a, a scripture, a word from them that said, when you enter the land, I will gather your sons across the river to the base of the mountain in the land God's given you. Well, Albuquerque, the Rio Grande River, the Sandia Mountains, and the ministry was in between the two. And my dad woke up one morning. They were living in a converted garage, fixing up the bus to get back on the road because they'd almost gone bankrupt. My dad was going to get out. And he felt the Lord speak to him, just like he did to you in that early morning and said, no, you've entered the land. This is where I planted you. So my mom heard that and said, OK, God, you promised my sons. So my wife, Mary, gets, you know, feels uncomfortable, comes to me, something's wrong, something needs to be changed. So I go pray. And end of the day, God tells me and Mary, you got to go back and help your dad. So sold the businesses. And each one of my brothers within the next year felt God close doors and say, go back and work for your dad. At that time, they had only 12 people. Uh, they were barely making payroll. And then the ministry exploded. And at that time, what we were doing is just calling churches and saying, 80% of your people aren't in scripture. We have the audio New Testament on cassette, $12, 12 tapes, unconditionally guaranteed. And so we actually went through and called every church in America, had 137,000 churches buy from us. We were selling almost a million New Testaments a year, but we were only getting 15 testimonies a year from that million people in 50,000 churches. And of course, you wouldn't have been surprised by this because you're an expert in Bible engagement. And you would have told me, Morgan, a tool will only get you 5%. But we were caught up in the, the normal missions world of distribution equals impact, right? You just distribute, you know, and yeah. down a million tracks and one person pulls it out of the gutter and reads it and comes to Christ. That's justification. We're doing another million. So we were talking to a thousand pastors a day. So I had my team, 54 people on the phone. And I said, I want to know who's buying these cassettes. Well, it was the pastors, the Sunday school teachers, the elders. It was the Bible readers. They were like, oh, wow, I can listen in the car. I can listen while I exercise. I and the non-Bible readers were like, well, why would I do that? The Bible is boring. I can't understand it. And so we made a decision in 1987. We would not hire another person until we found a way to reach the 80% that weren't in Scripture. 
So we spent four years on that journey. And I wish you were with me during that journey. You would have helped me out. But after four years, we went from 246 staff down to 88. And we had, and we were just like, we're going to go out of business because we're not making this work. But what we came out with was a program we called Faith Comes by Hearing. And that program was pastors would challenge the whole church to join them in listening through the New Testament over 40 days. We had produced a drama, so they would play the dramatized uh, recording on their PA, and people would go, oh, I can do that. And then we found that was the key. The pastor had to challenge, had to preach, had to invite, and say, I want every single one of you. The church I was going to had about 3,000 members, and the pastor just said, we'll, we'll take up an offering to cover the costs, so you just sign up. And they got 90% of the families to agree to make a pledge. They got all the cassettes, put them in the middle of the floor, two pallets, put, put them in everybody's hands. And then he said, there's one entrance to the church and I'm going to stand by the exit. And when you go by me, I want to hear Matthew 1 as you leave. And that was the thing of injecting. That's what we learned was to inject it into a, a normal routine that people are already doing. And he just asked, how many of you spend some time in the car? Well, the average American spends 45 minutes. So he just said, all I want you is just to put it in your car and listen. Stop listening to music. Stop doing this and just listen to scripture. So every one of our cars became a Bible school over the next 40 days. And 98% of the people completed it. I called him to say, what were the testimonies? What were the transformations? So he, you know, people, marriage is healed, this, that. And he gave me the statistics of how many people had completed it and how many people were still doing it. Because, you know, the evidence says 21 to 28 days form a habit. So I told him, if you do it for this length of time, 40 days, a habit will be formed. And he said, people are still listening. You know, 90%, I think it was 94% were still listening after the 40 days. And so he said, you told me the truth. But I was like, what's the stories? The Because all the cards had stories on them. And he, he looked at me and said, Morgan, my problem's never been the power of God's word to change lives. My problem has been getting people in scripture. Mm -hmm. You told me if I preached, I challenged, I invited and encouraged people and followed up weekly that I'd get over 90% of my people to sign up and that they would listen and they form a habit. And what I'm telling you is that is true. God's word is changing lives. I don't need to read that. This was what was important to me. So that started, <laughs> faith comes by hearing in the United States. And uh, you would have saved me four years of agony if I'd known you then. <laughs> um, and well, and two-thirds of my staff. It worked out really cool. And we're going to, we'll shift gears in a little bit and talk about what's going on internationally and some mm -hmm. of the stuff that's really just blowing the world up right now with what you guys are doing and the partnerships. Uh, and uh, I wanted you to tell the bus story. I just enjoy it every time I hear it. Uh, it's that sort of rugged pioneer spirit of the early missionaries, you know, uh, you know, it's a Hudson Taylor type of, you know, uh, David Livingston kind of story. And just uh, uh, for our listeners, just the, just how inspiring it is for someone to hear from God and believe in God and go all in for God and then just a reminder of the power of the word and uh, that we've just shown over and over again that uh, the word, when it goes out, doesn't return empty, which is really cool. Amen. So, uh, you know, so Romans 10, 17, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, talk a little bit about 
what you know, I've, you know, we've, you know, I've talked about it. We can kind of work on this together. Just the power of auditory learning. Uh, mm-hmm. How many people um, are illiterate in the world? How many people prefer audio? Uh, do you have those handy? Yeah. And what happened is during this time, Randy, we didn't realize it, but our audio Bibles were being passed around pastors and people were sending them to missionaries, Wycliffe Bible translators, Bible societies. And so as they were hearing them, we started getting calls from Wycliffe and Bible societies saying, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you recording the Bible for Spanish and English people in America? What about Haiti? 90% of the people are illiterate. And so we started hearing from the translators that half of the world was functionally illiterate, couldn't read the Bible in their language. The Wycliffe Bible translators were telling me that oftentimes it was less than 1% or 2% that could ever read scripture in their language, sometimes only two handfuls. Uh, and, and I was in shock. They told me stories about distributing Bibles. And when they came back, uh, the Bibles were missing all the pages. And they're saying, hey, where are the pages of the Bible? And they said, well, you, you told us, Pastor, that man cannot live by bread alone, and so we can't read. So we just tear a page out of the, the Bible, put it in the soup, and we eat it. <laughs> I was like, what? They were saying in Nigeria, they bought four Bibles when they built a house, and they put them in, under the cornerstone or in the cement because they couldn't read them. But if you build your house on God's word, you know, it, well, you're like, taking oh. it literally. <laughs> so I, had, I had no idea. Then they informed us that even those who could read, 70% were oral. In fact, it's the same in the United States. I think only 20% or 30% of Americans read more than a book a year. Yeah, even though they can, they mm-hmm. don't choose to. Yeah. This it's is a big deal for learning. many of our listeners that are that are in, you know, urban areas where the people can read, but here's the wake up call. 70% of them are not choosing to read. Yeah, my my daughter's read, but my son told me the other day he read a book and I said, "You read it?" And he said, oh, I've read it four times. And I said, you read that book four times? He went, okay, dad. Okay, dad. I listened to it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, for him, reading is listening. So that was when we first began to be aware that the majority of the world, even when you got the Bible, couldn't read it. They were eating it. So we began to record it. And that was when massive transformation happened. Now, when you start looking at three and a half, four billion people who can't read, you start going, whoa, how, you know, you can't afford a printed Bible per person. How are you going to provide, you know, cassettes, batteries, because they have no electricity, you know, and this $100 plus per, ooh. And so we started going, working with nationals, and we started looking at the Bible. And wow, it's amazing to look at scripture and realize in the Old Testament, there was only one copy of the book of the law, right? And we think, you know, pastors preach, read your Bible, pray every day, and they use the Old Testament, but they only had one copy, and they lost it during the time of Josiah. So the call was for the people, Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 13, every seven years, the whole nation was to assemble and hear the word of God for an eight-day feast, the five books of the law. And we went, wow. So the great revivals, Josiah and Nehemiah, was when their book of the law was brought and heard by the whole nation. Then we looked at Jesus. Well, we have the writings of Jesus, but he wrote nothing down except for in the sand. So we went, oh, his disciples were illiterate. 95% were during that time. And when they stood before the Sanhedrin, they said, how do these guys get such knowledge seen as they are illiterate and unschooled? 
So we went, wow. So we started saying, what if we provide one audio Bible for community? And our, our oral and our national said, hey, that's the way we work. You know, we finish farming in the village. We all come together, fire, we tell stories. If you can provide one, we'll all gather together to listen. And that's when we just got blown away. I remember going to my first village. You walk in the village, you have to meet with the elders. This is Ghana, West Africa. You got to reach, meet with the chief and get permission. And uh, we brought the word of God in Ashanti, your language. And they look at us and they go, no, God doesn't speak Ashanti. He only speaks English. Oh, no, 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 no. You pull it out. You push the button and out of it comes Ashanti. And there's this, this shock. You know, they, they just are shocked. And the, the chief yells at one of the guys, go. And he grabs a gong, gong, goes to the whole village. Priesthood, every 300 plus people are sitting under the mango trees. Everybody gathered bring it up, push the button, and it's like all sound is just gone. Nobody moves, nobody twitches for the next 45 minutes. And, and you look in their eyes and you realize they're not with you. And then when you stop the button, you watch people coming out of the story and you're going, what's going on? And it took me five years to understand that oral people cannot separate themselves from a story. Mm. When it's dramatized and it's in their language, they actually enter the story. And for them, it's as real as if they were with Jesus, mm. as if he was talking to them directly. And when you stop, they're like, ah, Jesus speaks Ashanti. Ah, we don't need a translator to talk. He's from along, among us. And we we're having communities where half the village would come to Christ after listening for 45 minutes. Mm. Missionaries had been in the area for 25 years and won five people. Hearing the word of God in their language one time Half the village makes a decision for Christ. And I, I was shocked. I thought what we were doing was for discipleship. You know, there's 3 million churches among the extreme poor. 99% of them can't read. So to have the Bible in their language would allow them to disciple their people. I had no idea that since everybody thought God only spoke another language, not their own, that the minute they heard it, the whole village would gather around the church to hear and people would come to faith in Christ from hearing the word of God. Yeah, that's such a great story. And, and, and you know, just the faith comes by hearing took this really radical shift. And, and you really focus particularly on uh, audio recordings uh, for uh, groups of people that are still remaining, you know, Wycliffe and others have taken care of some of the bigger languages. You guys are f focusing on languages that are, that are, you know, have smaller groups of people. So uh, I wanted you to explain two things. What's the process by which you do an audio recording? And then if you could uh, tell us, what do you do when you're going into a place that doesn't have a written language? Well, the typical, we have, we have 50 national teams. So over the years, we, we work extreme, we, we work in partnership and we work with nationals. So these national teams have equipment. There are two people, one a director, one an engineer. They will then go out to the area where a Wycliffe Bible translator may have been for 35 years, learning the language, creating a dictionary and orthography and translating the scripture. And they know how many people cannot read. So they call us, that national team in Africa, they're Africans, go out to that jungle area uh, on the river. They then use uh, maybe the missionary's home or a church or a mud hut. They convert it into a studio, bring corn cob mattresses, 
put a door and a window in, bring a generator. They find 25 voices that will do 180 voice parts. So the voice of Matthew, the narrator, will also be the blind man in John. Jesus, son of David. And then he'll be an angel in Revelation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you use reverb sound effects. So 25 voices gets us 180 voice parts. Now it takes 10 hours to get one hour because it's just these people don't read well. A lot of times they're illiterate people. I'm reading, they're reading to somebody in the studio and they're just mimicking. Right. So six weeks to three months to do a New Testament comes out to us. We add music and sound effects. And then when that's done, then we put them on these kind of devices, which is the proclaimer, the solar panel. So they don't have to make a choice between food and batteries. The batteries recharge 3000 times. Africans said they love it because it drinks the sun. <laughs> it speaks any language in the world. It never tires. It can say the same thing a thousand times and never, never changes it. It can speak four languages. So we load it with usually one language, but up to four languages. And so this one is loud enough that a thousand people can hear. Many of them prefer the smaller one because in India and other places, the listening groups are 30, 40. It'll be used in four groups. But, and so this one, same thing, solar panel, and then four languages recharge. Now, in places, Randy, where there's no scripture, C Company, Wycliffe, and others came to us and said, as you know, languages are in cluster. You'll take Latin, French, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian. All those languages are Latin-based. So the orthography, the rules of the language, the words are the same or similar. So dia in Spanish, dia in Portuguese. So the rules are there and they're intermarried. So they're saying, you know, catch with there's 28 languages. You already have 12 of them. If these other languages have never been translated, we're only going to translate so you can record it because if people can't read and there's not, never going to be any education in that language, education is in Spanish. So let's skip that five years that it takes to learn the language, create an orthography and dictionary, and let's just go oral to oral. So we spent about eight years creating a software that we call Render, because you're rendering it from one language to another. It can hold three languages and it's touch-based. So you, it's all color and image-based. So illiterate people can use it without having to learn to read or operate a computer. And so it really, as I've got a four-year-old granddaughter and I watch her go through my wife's iPad, she can't read, but, you know, and so, yeah. So they are able to do that. So what they do is they, they hear a section of scripture. Usually we have two teams of five. They'll be way up in the mountains on, a, on, a, on an island that's five days away from anybody that has electricity, any signal. They come together in some area. They listen, talk about how they would say it discuss it, and then they'll white paper or whiteboard it. They'll piece, put a piece of white paper on, and like the story of the woman uh, that gave the two pennies. They'll then draw the temple. They'll draw the, the rich people and the box, the woman, the two pennies, the, the 12 disciples. And Jesus. So they literally draw out the story. Then the best, best person will record it. They'll listen to it, listen to the source text, listen to the, another text. No, 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 we, we missed, do it. And they'll do it 15 times. When they're done, goes to the other team. The other team hears it. Oh, no, that was a borrowed word. You need to change it. And they'll record what needs to be done. It goes back. And then they change it. Then they community check. And this is the thing is people are coming to faith in Christ while they're translating. Because hmm. we're able to do Luke in nine months. 
Well, as each chapter is done, the whole village around them, and some villages will send people, will gather around. The only light will be this little computer device. Somebody's fighting over who's going to grind the coffee, who's going to roast the peanuts. And they all gather in the dark, and they hear the word of God in their own language for the first time. And one of the singas who are doing this, the pastor who's explaining this, says, when we heard it in singa, it's umbilical. And people will literally pound their chest and weep when they hear it because their heart hurts. It, it, it has impacted them so deeply. Mm. And then they talk about it, listen to it. Now, that meaning check is important because one project, uh, they were listening. They heard the story of John the Baptist. He came either eating or drinking. And they said, oh. Uh, and so they asked, what does that tell you? They said, oh, John the Baptist was a powerful warlock. Wait, 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 what do you mean warlock? Oh, we have warlocks and they hate somebody. They'll go out at night and release their spirit. And if they're powerful enough, they'll eat that person's soul. And when they wake in the morning, they're not hungry and that person will die. No, 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 no. So, so they go back to the translation consultant who says, okay, change that to John the Baptist came fasting, which they do. And they go, oh, John the Baptist. <laughs> so there's an important series. Beautiful. But now, instead of waiting 35 years, nine months, and even they're not waiting nine months, within the first month, they're hearing one, two chapters of Luke, and people are coming to faith in Christ. That is absolutely amazing. Um, let me ask you, uh, how, where are you guys at uh, with how many, how many languages uh, do you have audio recordings for at least a portion of the Bible? We have... Just over 1,600. As of today, 1,602. Now, those are big languages and little languages. Mm -hmm. So Mandarin and others. So that's 1,602 languages. There's 7,100 languages in the world. But that 1,602 represents 80, about 85% of world speakers. So a little over 6.6 .6 billion people speak that as a mother tongue. Hi, this is Randy Frazee, host of the Bible Roots Podcast, which is brought to you by my friends at Harper Christian Resources. Harper Christian Resources equips you to understand the scriptures, cultivate spiritual growth, and disciple your people with Bible study resources from today's most trusted voices. So we, we, we're really close to the numbers of people, but we're far away from the languages. So there's about another thousand languages that have at least a portion of scripture, another thousand that have New Testaments we're waiting to record. And then there's another 2000 languages that translators are working on. And then there's the 2000 languages that have nothing. And those are the ones we're doing the oral Bible. And, uh, and as you know, we're all focused, all the yeah, translation absolutely. world is focused on. Getting yeah. Tell us about, on. yeah. I, that's one of my big areas. I wanted to spend some time. So let's go there now. Because yeah. everything is pointing to uh, this finishing the task, this yeah. 2033 vision. And some people have heard about it, but um, for many people, this is going to be something very new and what's happening in it. Tell us about 2033. Well, there's a, a group called Every Tribe, Every Nation that's now known as the Illuminations. And Illuminations was business people, the Green family, the Barnharts, and others who pulled together the top 10 Bible translation agencies in the world and said, we don't want to know when you can start every language. We want to know when it's done. And they worked literally for eight to 10 years with them getting uh, the same language, getting all the research, getting uh, shared data. And then about five years ago, they said, 
when can it be done? And as they did the research, they said, we believe this could be done by 2033, 2000 years after Christ's death. So they sent that to us. We looked at it, examined it, and we said, okay, because we're saying, what are you going to do with the oral people? And they said, well, that's you. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are our partner. We're expecting you to step up. So we looked at it and we called that vision 2033. Now, this is important because in Matthew 24, the disciples were asking about when the end of time was coming, what was the signs. You know, we talked about wars, pandemics, which, <laughs> I mean, we're sitting in there, right? Uh, potentially World War III. And we're seeing all these wars, pandemics. But he says the end is not yet. In Matthew 24, 14, he says, because the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the whole world and to every nation, then the end will come. Now, the word nation there is the same word for nation used in the Great Commission. And it's ethnos, which means language, tribe, and people. So the Wycliffe Bible translators have said to us, that's 7,140. So until every language has scripture in their language, we don't believe the job is done. So it's potential that by 2033, we can, for the first time in the history of the world, have completed the Great Commission. And at the same time, there's this these coalitions of church planters that have come together that are researching the world to see where churches are. And they have made an agreement by 2033 to plant through nationals a church within reach of every thousand people. So you have these colliding. The Holy Spirit is calling us all together. And you have to say, I don't, you know, nobody declares that 2033 is when Christ returned. We don't know. But it may be for the first time in the history of the world where we can on our knees say, Lord, <laughs> we've got every language. Come, get your bride. Yeah. Come. Yeah, we're doing our part. And what's really amazing to me is the John 17 nature of this uh, within the different Christian mm-hmm. organizations that are could be territorial and have in history been territorial. Um, yeah. uh, and, and now God is moving and, and there's this amazing unity that's coming around it. And I think for people listening today, watching today, maybe hearing for the very first time, this sort of, oh my God, Jesus did say that. We're not saying it's 2033, but boy, the 2033, 2000 years after. And you know, it was around 2000 years when God first talked to Abraham. And so God's a mathematician, you know? And so like it was 2000 years before he came the first time. It seems pretty, if you look at scripture, it seems like 2000 years before he comes back the second time. I don't know. Cause sometimes you can think, wow, this is, you know, this is never going to happen. And in people in the scriptures, you know, even got to that point says this thing's never going to happen. And so we, you know, pace in front of a microwave. So we just think if it doesn't happen by the end of the day in America, it's not going to happen. But really, there's this sort of you can see this sort of parallel, and it's and then the idea that we can participate and say, God, you're going to come when you're going to come, but we're going to do everything we can. And the unity of the church has just been absolutely fascinating. Uh, what I want you to do, Morgan, um, I want to talk about. I want you to tell a story. You, you know, everyone who knows you, and I never got the one I want you to tell, and maybe you want to pick a different one. But I I like the genealogy story. Do you do you mind telling that one? Oh. Love okay, so everyone just listen in. Just gonna, you're, you're, this is this is super eye opening for those of you who teach and just those of you uh, that are trying to connect with your people and know, wanting to know where they're at. Well, Randy, as I mentioned, I really didn't expect the audio Bible to be a tool of evangelism, but over the first five or six years, so many people were coming to faith in Christ 
that I began to ask the question whenever I travel, what was the story or stories that caused you to come to faith in Christ? And literally one out of three times, people would say, oh, when I heard the genealogy, that's when I came to Christ. And I'm like, what? Matthew <laughs> one chapter people, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. One people group in Togo told me that the power, they said, oh, the genealogy is so powerful. We've created a song out of it. And that's how we evangelize. We go to a village, we sing the genealogy, and then we invite people to come to faith. And I'm like, I don't get it. So I was in San Jose with some business guys, shared those stories. When I was done, this business guy came up to me really unhappy. And he said, you need to stop doing that. That may, it may be funny to you, but the genealogy has no value. Well, there was one African from Zimbabwe in the room and he jumped in to defend me. He was like, no, no, the genealogy is my favorite part of the Bible. And that guy looked at him like he had two heads. He's like, you got to understand our culture in Africa. We don't care what school you went to, how wealthy you are. The only right you have to speak is based on your genealogy. And he says, I'm the firstborn of my father, who's the firstborn of his father, who's the firstborn of his. We're from a chieftain clan, a major tribe. And whenever there's a, a village or community event, we have to go back. And when we go in, the aunties of my father will sing our genealogy, teach all the women the genealogy. They'll greet us singing our genealogy, lead us to the center of the village. So everybody knows somebody of importance has come. And all of a sudden I caught it because when I would see the genealogy played Matthew one in these villages, you would see people go dead quiet, leaning forward. And the people in the village would want to hear the genealogy two, three and four times, which I didn't understand. Well, for them, they're saying, who is this? Before I listened to him, I got to know his genealogy. Well, when it says this is the, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of, I mean, they're, Jake, they're immediately like Abraham, whether they're, they're another religious background or Christian, everybody knows Abraham. So they lean forward. It goes 14 generations to David. By that time, the village is dead quiet. Then 14 generations from there to the Babylonian exile. Now the quiet is palpable. Then 14 generations to Jesus. Now nobody moves, nobody twitches, because nobody in the history of their tribe has heard from somebody with a genealogy like this. And then a virgin gives birth to a child. John the Baptist comes screaming from the real, from the wilderness, repent, for, and they know they're sent. And so when they get done with hearing the Sermon on the Mount, they are convicted, and they want to know, how do we enter into this kingdom? So the genealogy is what gives them the absolute authority to talk. So I'm like, that part that we skip over for two-thirds of the world is the most important part of the Bible. That's why it leads. Yeah, that's it's. I mean, I just uh, I've I've uh, you've shared that story. I've, I've taught that story to our congregation, and everyone's just absolutely mesmerized by it. And it makes so much sense. You know, we'll have to do another episode because uh, you know, there's so many stories you tell. Probably my maybe my all-time favorite, but I'm not going to have you tell it now. I'm just going to let people realize they're going to have to go on your website. They're going to have to come to Faith Comes by Hearing event is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. That's like probably my all-time favorite. Uh, no, there's maybe a couple more that are right up there, but you're going to have to, uh, we're going to give you access to to their URL and and be able to find all of that. Um, I want to talk a moment here as we come kind of kind of wrap things up, uh, but just want to dive in a little bit more about this thing called uh, one and uh, chat about that for just a little bit. 
Tell us a little bit about the vision of that, because this is where I came into interacting with you guys. And we're actually in a little over halfway through this experience for Lent 2022 right now. So tell us a little bit about one and its origin. Well, one comes from the comes from the call of God for the whole city or nation to listen. And from the story uh, in 2 Kings 22 and 23 of Josiah, which is the greatest revival in Jewish history, when he gathered the whole city to come together to hear the five books of the law. And then the same thing in Nehemiah when Ezra came out and read the book of the law in Ezra 8 and 9. So we said, how can we get a city to come together? We first did it in Houston and had 600 about churches involved, including the Catholic church. It was a tremendous thing. Well, I went to Hong Kong. The church in Hong Kong wanted to do it, but it was just the English-speaking church 10 years ago. So about four years ago, we were meeting again, and they said, what could we do for the whole city? Well, now we have digital. And so the Bible is app allowed us to have all the languages of the city of Hong Kong, Cantonese, Mandarin, English, Tagalog. And so they wanted to do it as a whole city, and they named it one, one city, one Lord, one word. And one person, they wanted to invite every person to invite one. And so when they went to launch that campaign, that's when you and I had met. And they just were so attracted to you and your gentle nature and how you speak that they invited you to come and launch that. So you went to Hong Kong to launch it. And you were so impacted by the unity of the church in Hong Kong. I think we have 500 churches in Hong Kong doing it this year that uh, you came back and said, hey, let's do this in Kansas City. Uh, now, we hit it right at, of course, the, the wrong, maybe it's God's timing. Uh, he, he's always sovereign. But COVID had hit, so the churches weren't able to meet. And so you've been leading that charge in the United States. It's now become an international movement. You've helped uh, get on the phone with me, Zooms, with, with Ghana, with Malaysia, with Singapore, and now with India. And so it's expanding as a worldwide movement of one church, one Lord, one word, and every person, one person reaching one person. And so you've been leading not only in Kansas City, but you spoke into them, sharing with them the things you've known, which is the pastor has to be involved. You need to have a video component, which is where the gospel films, the Lumo films have come in and forming the weekly gathering on Zoom or in presence. Uh, and, and you're bringing those key elements has made the one campaign much more successful. So thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, for everyone listening, uh, I was meeting with a pastor who was visiting from Chicago, and I just explained this to him in uh, and just for a little bit. He goes, I'm on board with that. I go, that's, it's the best. It's, so it's essentially a plan for Lent, you know, kind of really it's seven, eight weeks leading up to Lent. And initially, it started off in Hong Kong as a listening program uh, through the Bible.is app. And we'll link all that into the show notes uh, so you can check it out. It's a free uh, app with all of these languages in it, which is so fun and so exciting. Uh, And uh, essentially, if you listen to 10 minutes a day uh, for 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday, that you can get through all four Gospels. Uh, or you can do a number of other different programs, but you know, we, that's what we do. And so that's the base of the program. And we thought we can really up the engagement if the pastor would speak 
uh, on the topic. So last year we did the Gospel of Mark, and we provided uh, eight sermons, an introductory sermon, and and then seven more sermons on the Gospel of Mark. And this year we're doing John and the seven I am statements. And then we're encouraging a small group experience uh, through these uh, episodes, if you will, yeah. on the life of Jesus that's been uh, produced called the, uh, the Gospel Project or Gospel Films and Lumo. Is that right? Oh. I did that right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really wonderful opportunity for your small groups, or you can start one in, in a high school, in a business. The people are starting them all over the place. It's like um, 15, 20 minutes of word for word. Uh, laid over in multiple languages, this beautiful cinematography of the life of Jesus. And, uh, and then just uh, some discussion questions come up. So it's super easy. And then we continue to leave the listening component uh, in it as well. And then are continuing to encourage of people to invite one other person. This is the beauty of gospel saturation. And, uh, and then also be uh, mindful of uh, looking at how you can move us to the 2033 vision, maybe by sponsoring a language. And uh, it's just really been quite, quite amazing to see uh, how God's word is going out in this organized way. You know, 32 uh, international cities last year, I think 25 this year, and the, the word is just going out in a big way. So I encourage people to check out Bible.is. Uh, Let me ask you uh, two more questions, and then we can wrap up. Morgan, I just could talk to you all day, and uh, there's so many things I know you could share that uh, we'll have to leave out of this one, but maybe anticipate another opportunity. Love if someone wanted to get involved in Faith Comes by Hearing, what's the best way for them to do that and to find you? Um, go to our website, faithcomesbyhearing.com, uh, one, and just go through, look at some of the vision, uh, look at some of the videos and stories. Download, you can either download it from there or just the, uh, the, the app store, bible.is, and so that you have that app, learn and start using it. So check out one of the plans through the Bible, through the four gospels, maybe the one campaign, and learn how to share it. It has 1,600 languages. My favorite is to be in an Uber. Almost all the drivers are foreign. I find out what country they're from, what their mother tongue is. I find it on Bible is, click it, push play, hold it over the back, and they get shocked. They start like, what's this guy? Where did he come from? And they all listen, and then they want it, and then I share it. And so you, and so have a, one out of four people in the United States speaks a language other than English at home. So use Bible is as your opportunity to share your faith with your the person who does your nails, your yard, or an Uber driver, somebody. So that would be the easiest way. Faithcomesbyhearing.com, Bible.is. Yeah, we had, uh, and also we'll link all of this in the show notes, but uh, for the one campaign for churches that are interested in it, uh, you can go to one.bible. And then if you'll click specifically on 1kc.bible, you'll see the other cities and uh, collections of people doing it. Uh, it will lead you to an understanding of the program and what you could do really anytime you want to do it. I mean, uh, yes. I really encourage people to do it whenever they want to do it, but told the guy in Chicago, you should look at doing uh, this with some other churches in your city, which would be really encouraging. And uh, if you go uh, one dot, uh, Bible. 1kc.bible slash resources. It'll lead you to all these sermons. And man, it just makes, uh, it just, it's a really, really exciting thing. I'm going to ask you one question. I didn't actually prep you for this one. So, but I like to ask all my guests this, uh, if you could be, you know, King Morgan Jackson for a day, people would have to do what you say. <laughs> okay. What's the, what's the one thing that you wish, whether it's pastors or 
maybe uh, individual Christians, or what's the one thing that you would really want to encourage them to say, listen, this is the one thing, I just need you to trust me on this, do this one thing. What's the one thing that maybe frustrates you, that you just wish people would do, and then offer up the thing that you're most encouraged about? I think it would be what we're talking about, is to engage in Scripture, is to actually download um, version or Bibleist app, and begin a habit of daily hearing scripture. If you don't have a quiet time, okay, but put it into your routine. So do that. Actually begin to listen to scripture. I think the thing that's encouraging me the most is just the revival that's sweeping the world. Uh, And much of it's caused by America and what we've done, our missionaries are giving. But, you know, the world, I mean, there was only 5% Christians in Africa. 100 years ago, and now 50% of Africa is Christian. There are only, you know, something like 750,000 Christians in uh, China in 1950. Today, they say there's 120 million Christians. Mm. India has seen an explosion of the church and church planning. In the global South and Latin America, um, nominal Catholic and now almost 35% evangelical, and the Catholic church has come alive. And so when I look around the world, I see the Spirit of the Lord. And I believe part of it is because as the Word of God is being translated in the heart languages and people are hearing God speak their language, that's encouraging me. I see the, the language of the world like a ball that got broken at the Tower of Babel and everybody got a slice. And we're not trying to translate God's Word in their language so that God can speak their language. They have a sliver of God's language. God's always spoke that language. Mm. All we're doing is putting the word of God in the piece of language that they speak. And when we all gather in Revelation under the throne, every language, tribe, nation, and people, I think all the languages will represent the one language of God, and it's going to be a beautiful experience. So I'm encouraged. I think 2033 can be done. Yeah, this is so exciting. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, I'm more familiar with this from uh, Mike Cheryl introducing us, and I'm just convinced that a lot of people that are hearing this podcast uh, were not aware of this, and I'm going to encourage them to keep digging in. And just a reminder, the whole purpose of this podcast is you get people engaging in God's Word, and things are going to happen that are all going to be amazingly positive. And, and in our little corner of the local church that we serve or wherever we're at, maybe our small group, you know, we see some exciting things happening, but you're giving us a picture of the world. And there's some revival-like things that are going on right now amidst a lot of uh, things that are super discouraging. God does some of His best work and to just keep pressing in on on getting people to engage in scriptures. Amen, Morgan? Amen. As God plows the nations, let's sow the seed of his word in the soil. Yeah. Appreciate what you're doing, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to the outcome of this podcast as people hear it. Amen. Thank you, Randy. It's been a blessing. And I'll look forward to a second one. You betcha. You betcha. Well, everybody, uh, that wraps up episode nine of the Bible Roots podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have enjoyed it, leave us a review. Tell us uh, about what you think about it. Uh, Check out the show notes and uh, the links. And also make sure you share it with somebody else. Let's get the word about this out so that 2033, that we're a part of making 2033 happen. And we'll see what Jesus does with this. Uh, Looking forward to episode 10 coming up. It is going to be the end of this first season. We certainly hope you've enjoyed it. And for now, it's Randy Frazee, uh, the host of the Bible Roots podcast sponsored by Harper Christian Resources. Have a great day.
Thanks for listening to the Bible Roots Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and energized by our discussion today. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review. This small gesture will help more church leaders discover our conversations around Bible engagement. And don't forget, like and subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Now, may your faith be strengthened through God's word today and every day.